This Week in Startups is brought to you by Salesforce Essentials. Jumpstart sales and support by leveraging the world's number one CRM at a startup price point at just $25 a month per user. Go to salesforce.com twist for an additional 50% off and a free onboarding call. Walker Corporate Law. Specializing in the representation of entrepreneurs. Visit walkercorporatelaw.com. And NetSuite by Oracle. The business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide called Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com twist. Upcoming launch events. Apply for our next Founder University September 9th and 10th in San Francisco at founder.university. And get your free Founder Pass for Launch Scale in San Francisco October 7th and 8th at launchscale.net slash tickets. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. I'm 48 years old. I live here in Silicon Valley. I invest in 80 or 90 companies a year. Sometimes I put in 25K, sometimes 100, sometimes a million, sometimes 2 million. And the majority of those companies go down in a burning heap of fire and I lose all my money. But once every 25 or 35, one of them becomes a unicorn, a billion dollar company. Oh, yum, yum, skis. So my job is not to invest in all the unicorns. It's to invest in one every 50 or 100, and I'm in good shape. And part of that process uh, is to have a podcast. And on this podcast, I talk to my investor friends, and I meet new friends, new entrepreneurs. And a lot of people want to know, how do you get on this week in startups? And we get a lot of pitches all day long. PR people emailing us. And I just write them back. Thank you. That's so gracious. Uh, but we don't take suggestions uh, and recommendations for the show. Uh, tell Mr. Bezos I'm a huge fan. And we generally look for, I'm joking, if Jeff Bezos is listening, for the love of God, come on the pod. Um, although it's kind of tough because the people, when they become successful, they talk less. So I like to get them early when they're a little bit more honest and candid. Um, and the way you do get on this podcast is that somebody who's on the show mentions maybe one of their investments, or they mention something they're very excited about. And my guest today has a really good idea, and she's executing at an extremely high level because I love design, and man, your website's designed really well. Uh, and my friend Dave Morin was recently on the Angel Podcast, which you can visit at angelpodcast.com. Dave Morin uh, worked for The Zuck and built the newsfeed and then went on to do Path.com, which is the best social network ever made. Rest in peace. Uh, and now he's uh, an investor at a, a firm called Slow Ventures. Anyway, he was raving about HipCamp. You can go check out HipCamp right now. It's H-I-P-C-A-M-P.com. And the founder's name is Alyssa uh, Ravazio. Alyssa Ravazio. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Jason. Yeah. Tell me what is, and tell the audience, what is HipCamp, and how'd you come up with the idea? So HipCamp unlocks access to private land for camping, glamping, RVs, and general outdoor recreation. And I came up with the idea as a very frustrated camper myself. Mm. So in particular, I was planning a trip uh, fairly last minute. I'm not a big planner. Mm. Um, and as many people who do camp, especially in the United States, know if you're not planning six months in advance, you often end up with nowhere to go. And most people do not know this, but if you try to get into Yosemite and you want to camp in the valley this summer, 
when would I have to have booked for the July-August season? Uh, six months in advance to the day at, I believe, 8 a.m. on the dot. By 8.02, you're probably host. So I've got to go to the website essentially in December or January at 8 a.m. every day mm-hmm. for that day that unlocks mm-hmm. to get one of the coveted spots at Yosemite. Correct. And even if you're there refreshing the page on the minute, yeah. you might miss it. And yeah. so that's not my style. I like living a bit more in the flow and yeah, why not? figuring things out as I go. Spontaneity. Totally. So lost art. It's important. Um, and so for me, I was looking to plan a trip on New Year's, mm. uh, just a couple of days before New Year's, and I was getting totally host. Everything was booked. I was really frustrated because the state parks, the national parks, the public parks, all different websites. Mm. And so I finally chose somewhere that didn't take bookings and tried my luck, rolled the dice, um, actually got lucky and ended up getting a spot. It was the last one at the campground, showed up. And even though I'd read for hours about this campground, I hadn't learned that it had an incredible surf break. And so I walked over huh. this campground and I didn't have a surfboard. And yeah, I'd actually bummer. taken it out of my car before driving down to make uh. room for my tall friend, Sean, who's lovely. Um, but in this case had really caused me some pain. And so yeah. driving back that next day, just realized camping's broken. The internet could fix it. And this is a really worthwhile problem. Yeah. Um, and set out to do that. What I really like about what you're doing, and I had heard the pitch for a camping Airbnb over and over again. Nobody seems to have gotten it done. There's a lot of little efforts out there, I think, is that you're taking people who own private land Mm -hmm. and unlocking it. So let's unpack that for a second. The inventory, you're sourcing inventory. So if I owned a ranch up in Petaluma somewhere... Uh, north of the city or east of the city, and I had, whatever, a 1,000 acres. And I said, you know what? I should take these 10 acres by the river. It's lovely. I'll put a fire pit there, and uh, I'll put a water spigot and uh, an electrical hookup maybe or not. And uh, you would then source that and allow people to use that and what? Give take a piece of the VIG like Airbnb does, get a little bit of the action, 10%, 20% of it. What do you take? Yeah. So we take 10% from whatever the landowner sets up as their price. And so what we always say to these landowners as we're reaching out is, look, we only make money when you make money. Mm. Um, And I think that's a really compelling offer. And part of getting to private land, I should say, and I know Dave mentioned this on the show, we started focused on public land. And it was only through kind of really staying focused on this problem, which was that camping's hard, that we arrived at a very different solution than I started out with, which was private land. Because we kept hearing everything's booked, your website's cool, the UI's beautiful, but everything's booked. And so private land really emerged as the only way to solve the problem. We had to create more campsites. You needed more supply. Way more supply. The issue wasn't just a lack of information and Let's face it, government-built websites mm-hmm. may not be the most sophisticated. They probably totally. look like Craigslist or eBay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do you convert somebody who has land, which means they're probably affluent, mm-hmm. may or may not need the money, um, how do you convert them to wanting to take the risk of having a bunch of kids at a campfire on their land who might get hurt, who might get right. killed? Whatever, anything can happen. You might get sued. Mm-hmm. That's got to be the biggest hurdle, is it not? Definitely. And how do you overcome it? So there's a couple really important ways we do that. The first is by de-risking the situation immensely. So we have a really great liability insurance program as mm-hmm. well as a separate property protection program. Oh. So our hosts are insured for up to $2 million in any liability incident and then in addition for any property damage. Mm-hmm. So 
until we had that program set up, it was almost impossible to sign people up because yeah. the risk was just too great. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, talking about the potential upside, you know, we have landowners that make, you know, into the six figures every year now. Oh, yum, yum. And skis. so, right. And yeah. a lot of times I would say there's a couple of main reasons people sign up. Sometimes the cash is really important. A lot of landowners actually are more, you know, land rich, cash poor. Maybe they inherited the land. They've yeah, had it for a long true. time. Property taxes might be going up. Rural wages certainly are not. Here's a cool way to bridge the gap. Ah, uh, Yes. Very cool. When you went to your first insurance meeting and explained the idea, how many insurers did you have to go to to get this coverage? And what was their reaction? I'm curious as an entrepreneur, because that seems like your biggest hurdle. Mm -hmm. How hard was it to overcome? Take me into that meeting. So we were really fortunate. I had a great advisor, Sarah Swenson, who oh. actually had worked at a company called Boatbound. And so mm -hmm. knew a really great insurance broker and was able to kind of shepherd us to uh, the right people pretty easily. Let me guess. Boatbound lets you rent a boat? Correct. That's somebody else's? Correct. Which is probably a thousand times more risky exactly. in terms of death and destruction of property. Exactly. So their expectations were like for what we were offering. I think it was a yeah. much easier sell than letting uh, people who may or may not be trained in driving a boat to drive a boat. Uh, and... Tell me about the first couple of meetings, uh, or whichever one's the most notable and interesting, that you had with a landowner. How did you source a landowner? Did you just knock on a somebody's door and <laughs> hope they didn't take their shotgun down above the fireplace? How did you get the first couple of people online? Tell me. Um, I'll give credit to my father here. Okay. He's a big he's fly a fisherman. <laughs> he has a big shotgun. No, no shotguns. Um, he's a great fly fisherman, though, and he grew up... Um, teaching me as I grew up how to fly fish. And so when I told him about this idea and our struggles finding that first landowner, because it was a real, a real problem for us, he knew of a program called Private Waters where landowners opened up their land for fly fishermen. And so we called a fly shop that I grew up going to, and they had a single landowner in mind that we reached out to. It's called Clear Creek Ranch. It's a beautiful property. Um, we were only successful in getting them to sign up, though, once we arranged a partnership with Mountain Hardware to essentially pre-buy all their camping for the summer. So I was able to hand this landowner a check for $15,000 and say, Whoa. please sign up for my startup. I promise it'll be awesome and I'll pay you up front. Um, wow. And that was how we got our first landowner on board. Wow. Um, what does the landowner need to do? We know what an Airbnb host needs to do. They need to get you the code to unlock it. They need to have cable TV. They need to have internet. Um, they need to have some, you know, really cheap pots and pans in the off chance you want to cook some spaghetti and they need to clean the place. Mm -hmm. What do you, what does the landowner need to do? Nothing? Something? What? Depends on the type of hip camp experience they're offering. So okay. our mission is to get more people outside. And so in general, if that's really the type of experience you're interested in offering, it might be a fit for the platform. However, um, if you're offering tent camping, there's certain requirements, for example, having a bathroom. Whereas if you only want to be open for RV camping, that's not necessary because the right. RVs have a toilet on board. So you can just say park here. Park here. Gate code is a you know an important thing. I would say directions are hard because in rural yeah. areas, you tend to lose service. We just launched an app with offline direction mode. So yeah, that's smart. really important and helpful. Came from lots of good user feedback. And then we also have a segment of supply um, that we call glamping or lodging. So these could be anything from a tree house to a yurt. Um, and in those cases, you know, it really ranges from total bare bones rustic where you're bringing your own sleeping bag 
all the way up to beautiful linens and full service kitchen and shower. So in those cases, what's really important is for the landowner to set expectations properly. Okay. Um, and we also send photographers out to help them do that. Ah. All right. When we get back uh, from this quick message, I'm going to ask you the really hard question. Looking forward. How did you raise money in the face of Airbnb, the 800 pound, 800,000 pound gorilla in the space, having, let's say, the highest end of your inventory already there. They have glamping, they have tree houses. And how did you overcome the objection from the world's best investors? I see benchmarks in there, uh, and I know Dave Moran's in there. How did you overcome the objection? Well, what if Airbnb can do this? Or can Airbnb just do this and put you out of business at any time? Let me get back on this week in startups. Scaling sales is hard. I deal with this over and over and over again with my companies and the companies I invest in. You already know Salesforce is the world's number one customer relationship management platform, aka CRM, you've heard it. Well, now with Salesforce Essentials, you get an easy out-of-the-box tool and support all at a startup price point. You get instant setup, boom, it's online, up and running, right then and there, and you don't need code. You can easily scale your sales team by customizing with clicks, not writing code, and you'll get full cycle customer support built right in. This is so you can automatically connect multiple support channels. You know those channels, chat, email, phone, all of these things. You'll be able to automate all that busy work and repetitive tasks, allowing your sales and support teams to be more efficient. And customers, of course, can help themselves with the self-service support site that Salesforce will set up for you. Everything you need is on one screen so you can track all these emails, track all these calls and the meetings right there in your inbox. So go and get access to the world's number one CRM at a cost fit for a startup. Go to salesforce.com twist and get, believe it or not, a 50% discount. That's right. Get a 50% discount with your annual contract and a free onboarding training session. They're going to train you and make sure you know how to use the product so you're not wasting any time or wasting any money, which we know is essential for startups. Salesforce wants you to be efficient and they don't want you to waste your startup dollars. They want to grow with you. Salesforce.com slash twist. Salesforce.com slash twist. I'm so proud of that, huh? That you will get a 50% discount with an annual contract. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to this weekend startups. Our guest is Alyssa Ravazio. She is the CEO and co-founder of HipCamp. You can go check it out. She's been doing it since 2013. Long road, uh, but they've raised over 40 million. Uh, O'Reilly Alphatech Ventures, Jay Adelson, Slow Ventures, Mark Bell, Benchmark August, and it looks like our friends at Andreessen Horowitz uh, just dropped 25 million. That's nice. Correct. They jump the fence every time. My <laughs> God, those guys just know how to spend money. They do. Got to be a little careful, though, because mm -hmm. the reputation of Andreessen Horowitz now is they give too much money to founders and then push them to grow unnaturally fast. Hmm. Did you hear that? And did what are your thoughts on VC pressure? Do you feel pressure when they give you that much money hmm. for a camping marketplace to go faster and grow faster? Or are they reasonable? What's the truth about Andreessen and Horowitz? Great question. So from all the fundraisers I've done, I've always prioritized around who I get to work with. Ah, the partner. Yes. And so I'm Not actually- just the firm. 
not just the firm. No, it's all it's all about the person for me. And so in this case, we were very fortunate to get to work with Andrew Chen, who worked at Uber, who worked at Uber, among other things. Or Andrew's Um, a little weird, though. But anyway, keep going. (laughs) He's great. So we were we were really excited because I got to know him over the course of a year. He actually came to our first ever host summit. We had a hundred hosts come and glamp out at this beautiful ranch and learn how to use the the platform better. And so I'd gotten to know him and I'd gotten to know how he thinks and works. And so I was really excited to figure that out with him. Something I've always done that I think has served us well is we're actually not I'm not the type of founder that takes a term sheet and then go runs around the valley and picks it up. Hmm. I optimize for the person. I tell them what I want. I have hmm. a number in mind. And if they can meet it, we're done. And I'm not wow. going to go, you know, try to bid them up. Got it. So you know what you want. You tell them what you want. Mm-hmm. And they're in or they're out. Pretty much. That's it. That's pretty pretty much. baller. <laughs> You're like, I need $25 million for 20%. Yes, no. If not, I go back to work. Yep. Three, two, Go. Um, well, I think it's important because sometimes when you raise that amount of money, the VCs can pressure you. I know they had Quirky and Zenefits and a couple other companies go off the rail because they were pushing too hard. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they've corrected. My understanding is Andreessen Horowitz had an internal discussion about hmm. pushing to go too fast. Because if you raise at high valuations for them to make money, if they pay double the valuation than anybody else is willing to pay, which is their reputation, yeah. they just pay a high price. Well, that means in order for them to get their money back they have to push you to just fill in that area totally. and then they got to go from there and for the founder to raise the next round the bar has been set you know unreasonably high yeah and so if they don't grow unreasonably fast who's going to come next and want to pay that same price it is a balance right because you want to get a good deal you want to not mm-hmm. dilute but you don't want to set the bar ridiculously high totally i think yeah. another important thing people don't talk about enough is yeah. founder control of the company Got it. So having a founder in control of the board, I think, can really negate a lot of the, you know, kind of unnecessary pressure Mm. that VCs can put on early stage companies. Of course, once you get to a later stage and you're going public, you don't always get to hold on to that. Mm. Um, But that's something that's always been really important to me and I think serves a very good counterbalance to having these, you know, incredible. I mean, we get to work with Benchmark and Andreessen, like these incredible VCs with incredibly high expectations of us. And I love that, but I balance it with founder control. So you have like a five seed board or something like that, one for the A, one for the B. Correct. And three for you. Correct. Perfect. One independent, but you pick them? Correct. Got it. Yeah, that's the magic. You pick the independent. Mm -hmm. The board has to approve it, Mm -hmm. so you get a little stalemate there. You have to be reasonable. You can't put your cousin on or your mom or your dad or whatever. You have to put on somebody who everybody can agree on. Exactly. Um, Okay. The question is always going to be, and it's a stupid question, so I'm not asking it. I know the answer. But I want to educate our audience, which is entrepreneurs, as to how you dealt with um, that question, which must have come up about Airbnb. And how do you think about the competition from Airbnb? Unlimited resources, massive customer base, same Mm -hmm. business model. Mm -hmm. I think it really comes down to the community that you're building and the values and intent of that community. So with HipCamp, we're building a community of landowners who want to host people who want to get outside. Mm. And on the demand side, we're building a community of people who want to get outside. Mm. Those are going to be really hard things for Airbnb to compete with. And the network effects we're building from the supply and demand side really reinforce. So we've actually had, as an example, some hosts who join HipCamp, enjoy making this income, try Airbnb, and then come back. Ah. Because the type of person that really enjoys an Airbnb, which by the way, great company, love it, use it all the time, 
but it's a really great alternative to a hotel. Right. And so they come in with that level of expectation, which is not what people on hip camp no. are prioritizing. Our amenities that matter, hot springs, waterfalls, the ocean, forests. Right. That's what we're building around yeah. and building a product and community around. That makes sense. Um, and if you do that, you brand, is, I don't understand why people don't just say this, brand. Totally. It's just brand. Like Airbnb's brand, you're 100% correct, is the more affordable uh, solution to a hotel. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred dollars or fifty. It's fifty to a hundred dollars per person as opposed to two hundred or three hundred per person. Right. It's just a no-brainer. But that's completely different than optimizing for, you know, does this river have bass mm-hmm. uh, and is there a, a surf break and wh- what's the hiking like? It's completely different. Yep. Hey, you made a gorgeous video. I'm going to say let's play it. Sure. Uh, and for those of you listening, I want you to just use your imagination. Because it's a gorgeous video. Um, and it's all sound-based. And it's all so. sound. So it's not a commercial. It's just an experience of people running through. But it's actually really clever. So you hear people crunching, laying out their tent, setting up the tent, putting the spikes in. I'm going to do AM. What is that called? AMSR? ASMR? What is that? There's like this uh, new thing where you meditate and the oh. person talks into the microphone. Imagine you're drinking a cold beer, oh, and making coffee, <laughs> frisbee in the desert, killing mosquitoes, playing cards, and cutting wood, and lighting a match off of your zipper. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> and there you are, cooking hot dogs and steak on a fire, popcorn. And you suddenly learned to play the guitar, <laughs> and you now have hipster friends, thanks to Hip Camp. Oh. I'm Jason Calacanis, and I'm making you breakfast. There's a cute kid who's upset. Ten zippers. People living out of a van. And the morning light. Find yourself outside. From hip camp. Well done. Okay. Uh, Let's see the site. You got a site. You got a website. You built it up over the last couple years. Gorgeous. You took your own photos. Yeah. That's key, right? Isn't it? It it people really is. Because again, back to yeah. your point on brand, yeah. like brand is really how people feel when mm. they hear and see your name. And photography is just such a powerful way to build that impression on people. All right. Let's say I want to go to, uh, let me pick. Uh, how about Wyoming? Let's go to Wyoming. I was just there. First time. Incredible. Oh, cool. One of the most beautiful. Oh my God. Look at that. Look at that. State parks, national park system, national forest. You got mm-hmm. the map on the right. Big, quiet tent camping. 40 bucks a night? That looks pretty good. Small cowboy. Yeah, wall $75, tent, $75 for a glamp site. Let's, Let's take a look, look at, at this glamping here. Mm, yum, yum. Okay. Gorgeous yep. tent. Very old school. Incredible land. Cowboy breakfast included in your stay. Wait a second. It's 75 bucks. That's 25 bucks right there. Amazing. And you yeah. don't have to leave the ranch. It's an organic farmstead. I mean, this is one of the things Very that's hard. so powerful about what we're building is these landowners are really living with the land in mm. a way that isn't easy to learn about on other platforms. So you get that little bit of a guide, mm-hmm. which was part of the original concept of Airbnb, but I think maybe people just want their room and to move on. Mm-hmm. But the campsite is part of a 450-acre ranch, mm-hmm. and you're right uh, an hour uh, from two Yellowstone Park entrances. Yep. 
And uh, you get pets are allowed. That's nice. That's actually fun. Toilets available. That is our most popular feature. Of course, outside dates. Everybody wants to bring their dog. By the way, or cat, or ducks. You would be amazed the kind of pets people have. Uh, Hold on a second. Go back up here. I want to see if there's Wi-Fi. That's the question I'm curious about. There it is. Wi-Fi is available. Is Wi-Fi is kind of required, isn't it? You know, it's a very it's a controversial topic okay. in the outdoors world. Um, you know, a few years ago, it was the trend. All the campgrounds were talking about installing Wi-Fi. And interestingly, in our American Camper uh, report that came out this year, it's our big industry report, mm. the interest in Wi-Fi in teenagers has actually been decreasing. Really? Which I view as a very positive sign for the evolution of humanity because, Thank the Lord. you know, we are just so overwhelmed with stress and signals and alerts and notifications. Taking a few days to let your brain reset has proven science scientific benefits to make you smarter, more resilient to stress, sure. more creative. Why would you ruin that? And the but seven... if you're on the road and you're working, yeah. Wi-Fi is great. Yeah. I I think it's, yeah, it's reasonable that people want it because some people are going on like they're driving across the country. They can't be out of contact constantly, but it is nice to be able to turn it off. And I think society, people are going to start to figure out like, you know what, I'm just going to put, when I was in Wyoming, I'd, at times I just put my phone in the in the draw and left and went out with the girls but um $75 for up to six people not $75 a person correct so we're talking about 10 bucks a night per person what's the average cost across the site what's the median is it 10 bucks a person 20 bucks yeah actually around 10 or 15 a person and we do lots of group booking so something that also is really unique about the platform and something that i think is harder to find in traditional campgrounds Mm. is we've got sites that can host 40 50 100 people oh wow! so we do lots of like preschool bookings big birthday parties anniversaries company offsites i was thinking about the company offsite thing as an interesting concept definitely um that's definitely an interesting idea um should we find some more yeah Let's see. What is another interesting place? There's some yurts. Oh, yurts. Get the yurts. Yurts are good. Yurts are nice. Teepees. Tent sites. You know, I think that one of the most interesting things is that so many of these landowners are going to be just experts in their local area mm. and able to tell you about the secret swimming holes, the yeah. best fishing spots. Um, what about Hawaii? That's a place people let's like. Let's go to Hawaii. Let's go to Kauai. Oh, you just do all of Hawaii as one? Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll zoom in, though. Yeah, we'll zoom in there. Because I, Kauai, a lot of people do like to go to the Garden Island and try to find places. There's Maui. That's an obvious one, I'm sure. You can go to Hana, Maui's actually. Good. Yeah, the Big Island is also really, really You know, I was just on the Big Island on the East Coast. There's some really, yeah, look, it's all clutter on that uh, East Coast of the yep. island. Hammock, hammock glamping, I'll take it. Um, tent camping with a view. I mean, I think, again, so many of these places are just... It's just super unique. Here's a goddess cabin, for one. Um, Rainforest cabin. I mean, again, these hosts are, you know, really from a business standpoint, what we're building Mm -hmm. is a platform that supports these brilliant, creative micro-entrepreneurs and building their business. And they know their market. They know their land. What's interesting about this one is they'll give you a tent, too. So they actually have the mm-hmm. tent set up there. Is that right? Or does that just happen to be a picture of somebody with a tent? You Depends. bring your tent? A lot of times they have their tent. It is marked. If there's yeah. a tent provided, it'll uh. say accommodation provided. But a lot of times you're bringing a tent. Sometimes it's set up. In Hawaii in particular, being able to rent camping gear is really helpful because not everybody wants to fly with it. Yeah. You know what I'm big into? I'm what? big into the lean-tos. Oh. I'm a lean-to guy. Cool. Always have been. 
<laughs> Let me see a lean-to here. You got a lean-to? I don't think people have ever stayed in the lean-to. I don't lean-to. know if we have a lean-to search. Anywhere. Nowhere. You can't, if you ter- keyword search lean-to, no lean-tos, anywhere. You know what a lean-to is, right? I think so. Tell me more. A lean-to is a uh, kind of like a cabin, mm-hmm. but there's no front. Right. So you have a slanted roof uh, in case there's you know snow or whatever. And a lean-to has a back wall and two side walls. And usually the roof is pitched straight down. Hmm. So if you go from the back, you can walk on the roof almost. So it kind of slopes down and you go into it. And as you walk in, it goes down. So lean-to. Lean-to. Oh, there you go. Okay, here we go. Best lean-to image. There you go. So when I would go camping, that's a lean-to right there. Um, so lean-tos, what's nice about them is, uh, you know, if it rains, you're good. Right. But you're kind of out in nature and a bear can still eat you. Right. Perfect. A perfect combination. You, gotta, you know, <laughs> bear gets your cornered in there, you're done. Uh, I think we have a lot of these on the East Coast. It's an East Coast thing because yeah. you got snow. We would do this in Boy Scouts. Snow, rain, sleet. It didn't matter. Wow. We would stay in a lean-to. Wow. Uh, it would be snowing. I'd be, it'd be cold. Um, all right. When we get back from this uh, final and quick break, I want to know wh- how your job has changed as an entrepreneur from bootstrapping and kind of building this with a small amount of seed capital to now how you've had to shift gears when you have this amount of money and this much at stake and I'm assuming 50 employees now just about when we get back how has life changed for you with 50 employees headed to 500 on this week in storage Thanks again to the Walker Corporate Law Group, a boutique law firm specializing in startups for supporting This Week in Startups for a decade. Thank you, Scott. From me, Jason Calacanis, to you, Scott Walker. Thank you not only for supporting the program, but for supporting all the startups I've sent to you over the years. You know the Walker Corporate Law encourages fixed fees. They believe billable hours are inefficient, and they will give you a fixed fee so that when you get that bill at the end of the month, boom. You know what you're going to pay. You're not going to have that sticker shock when you open the PDF. Additional services, mergers and acquisitions, licensing arrangements, terms of service, privacy policies, all that stuff that you need to do to make sure your startup is protected and done right. And their lawyers have decades of experience, 10, 20 years or more. There are no junior associates getting on-the-job training with your startup. So if you want to talk to the founder himself, Scott Ed Walker, go directly to walkercorporatelaw.com or email scott at walkercorporatelaw.com scott at walkercorporatelaw.com or call 415-979-9998 415-979-9998 okay let's get back to this amazing episode all right welcome back to this week and starts my guest is Alyssa ravazio you can follow her on the twitter a-l-y-r-a-z and her company's hip camp Dave Martin, my pal, the investor, uh, put a little bit of money in. And Andreessen just backed up the Brinks truck, as they are apt to do. And that uh, has put you in a position of getting close to 50 employees, which means of the last 10, you may or may not know their spouses and kids' names or their significant Mm -hmm. others. And there are probably people at your company that you yourself didn't hire. Is that right? Definitely. How have you had to? Is your first startup? Second? This is my first startup I founded. Okay, great. So you've been at startups, but this mm-hmm. is this is the one. This mm-hmm. is your startup. Um, how have you had to shift gears now going into scale? It's a great you have question. product market fit. Now you scale. Yeah. 
It's um, it's a question that I have to think about all the time. Mm. When I first started Hip Camp, I actually learned how to program and built the website myself. Okay. And did everything, right? Because you couldn't so, find a developer. There's none left. Actually, all the developers I tried to work with kept trying to date me, and that got really tiring. Oh, my Lord. So I decided to just learn how to code. I figured that would be easier. Um, I have three daughters. I'm like, I just... Yeah. Every just time I hear these code. stories... I, <laughs> I mean, punch him in the face. I mean, it's just, that is infuriating. Yeah, it was. Infuriating. So I'm used to doing uh, literally like you everything. Literally, you could literally put a wedding ring on as like, in order to get a developer, I have to pretend I'm married. Right. Like I knew women in New York, it sounds crazy, but they, some of them were like a wedding band or whatever, and like just I get pretended it. they were married just I to like understand that. not get harassed on the street, but that's still going on? Yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, I think it's not always as poorly intended as it comes off right um but it does uh for me uh led to a lot of motivation to become more self-sufficient so sure. for the beginning of this company i was like doing the support doing the coding doing the marketing doing yeah. the content so it's been a uh long process mm. of learning to really give up things that i feel really strongly about and i have really strong opinions about everything should go and i've learned um Instead of trying to be the solution, uh. I need to now build the solution. And that mm. almost always means finding someone smarter, more experienced, and more talented than I am yeah. to take over a specific defined role. And then my job becomes making sure I've got the right people in the right places. Mm. They have the resources they need. Yeah. And that everyone knows what we're working on and that we have a strategy that makes sense. See, what's so great about your system, um, which was a system I used when I got into the magazine business in the 90s, is nobody can snow you because you know how to write code. You know how to design. You know how customer support works. Now, let's say you're 60 or 70% as good as them. That is dramatically different than you having zero experience in sales and having some sales executive tell you, no, no, don't worry. I'll, I'll take care of it. And they kind of like make the you know, development world and the design and the customers are opaque to you. And then they use that over the founder or the CEO, you know, to kind of protect them from the truth. Yep. And then you can't actually make progress. Agreed. So I tell everybody, get to 60%, 70% proficiency, which for a smart, motivated person, you can learn 60% of customer support in the first 30 days. Agreed. Each point after that might be a week or a month. Right, so becoming ninety-five percent capable, to be ninety-fifth percentile in customer support might take you a year, but to get to the sixtieth or seventy percentile might take you a month. Yep, developing maybe three months, you know, sales maybe two months. Like, just get some basic proficiency, yeah, and you'll be so much better off. But the challenge then becomes. You are motivated because it's your baby, it's your vision, it's your company. So now you're hiring people who may have more experience than you. It's not their company. Mm -hmm. And you worked at other startups. How do you get them to feel like they truly have ownership? Or are you okay with them having 80% or 50% or whatever the percentage is, the motivation of that you have? Because hmm. this is something I am still frustrated with in my life. I need advice on. How do you deal I with think that? The best way to do it is to truly give them ownership. Yeah. So being, you know, generous with equity packages yeah. and not, you know, I think especially something I've seen go wrong with startups that do raise big rounds is they start paying a lot of money and yeah. competing on salary. Um, we don't play that game. 
Um, we look for people who are really excited to build a company and give mm. them really great equity packages. Yeah. So they really are um, genuinely owners, which yeah. is important. Um, also, we've got a really powerful mission to get more people outside, mm. to really shift culture to one where people are more connected with nature, where people feel like they belong in the outdoors, where everybody has access to nature as a right. And so finding people who really connect with that and believe in that, I think goes a long way as well. And then, you know, finally, I think really treating people like owners um, of their kingdoms. Yeah. Which means, you know, sometimes I don't, I they might make their own mistake. I might just kind of let things roll a little bit more, mm. giving them kind of that um, yeah. ability to really uh, govern their world as they see fit. Yeah. I, you know, you get, let the Mustangs run, like let them run. Exactly. Let them, you know, if they and trip and they fall. that's what talented people want. They don't want someone no. coming in and, you Micromanaging. know, everything. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the only time you have to do that is if things go off the rails. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of feel like that is when I see the great entrepreneurs they find incredible people, like you're saying. They motivate the heck out of them. They give them all that space and freedom. And then if something goes wrong, they become micromanagers to the 100th degree. Yeah. You find yourself doing that sometimes? Yeah. I call it riding shotgun. Riding shotgun. I'm right here. I'm right here for you. <laughs> We're going to figure this one out together. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a nice way to put it. It's like the, the other way to put it is, my God, this is incredibly, this is a disaster. And I'm going to come and clean up this mess. No, you're like, yeah. I'm riding shotgun. You could use a little support. Well, but the thing about being the founder and CEO is so often when those situations happen, yeah. it's on you too, right? You put someone in a role they weren't ready for, or you yeah. set them up where they mm. didn't have enough resources to execute on the plan. And so it often really is like, I'm riding shotgun with you because we're in this together and we got here together and we're going to get out of here together. Or you hired the wrong person or they're suddenly getting lazy and, lazy and entitled. That happens too. And that's the other problem is sometimes you get that entitlement. Let me ask you a tough question. Think about it for a second. You got somebody who is a 10 out of 10 developer, product manager, sales executive, pick a role, 10 out of 10 on a skill level, 7 out of 10 or 6 out of 10 on their motivation for hmm. the mission. Now you got somebody who's a 6 out of 10 as a skilled developer, salesperson, product manager, 10 out of 10 on motivation, which if you could only pick one, do you go with and why? Do, 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 do. You can use your, you can take me through your thinking. If yeah, you want. I'll talk it through. So, talk it through. Here. So much of it depends on why they would be a six out of 10 on either realm. So, if the motivation mm. is a six out of 10 just because they weren't raised in the outdoors and they don't get it. Yeah. But I can see the sparks in their eyes as I start to talk about mm. how not only are we getting people outside, we've created the most scalable model for protecting nature on the planet. If they spark on that, even if they're not there yet, I believe they'll get there. Mm. And then same on the skill side. If they are a 6 out of 10 because they're more junior in their career, but the raw talent. I mean, I am a sucker for raw talent and intelligence mm. and creativity. And So, so you like I, to develop talent. Totally. Yeah. And so if I see that, if you're a 6 out of 10 today, you can be a 10 out of 10. I think Hip Camp is a great place to have that career growth. And so... Mm. Um, probably would go more for that. If it's more 6 out of 10 because you've been doing the same thing for a long time and you're not particularly well suited for the field and there's not a huge upside, kind of like investing, right? What's the upside? Um, yeah. That's how I would evaluate that question. Yeah. And the reason I picked 6 is because 6 can very easily become 7 or 8, mm -hmm. but cannot easily become 9 or 10. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of a jump there. Mm -hmm. And so, but if you said 7 or 8, it's kind of easy. You're like, yeah, I can get them one. I can get one or two points. Right. 
anybody can get one or ten two points, but getting those extra three or four, that's when it gets totally. hard. And it really the way we like to say it internally is, you know, missionaries versus mercenaries. Yeah. You know, it's like Boba Fett, bounty hunters versus Jedi. Mm-hmm. Like Jedi's are what you want. They're gonna put in the work when things yeah. are hard. Yeah. Right. Sometimes a bounty hunter can be quite effective. Mm-hmm. You just have to be careful. Because the only person to ever talk back to Darth Vader in the Star Wars series, which as a millennial I think you might have missed, but uh, was Boba Fett. Hmm. And Darth Vader didn't force choke him to death or stick a lightsaber through him. Just shows you. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about right now? No. None, none, none at, all. at all. I'm so embarrassed there's to like, admit. There's literally 90% of the audience <laughs> is like, what a great metaphor. <laughs> oh, my God. So there was a film in 1977 called Star Wars, and the follow-up was called Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And Darth Vader couldn't find Luke Skywalker, and the Emperor wanted him to find Luke Skywalker, and his people weren't good enough, so he got a group of bounty hunters. Mm. And he said, I need them alive. Anyway, it's a great film. You should check it out. I think you have to be really careful with diluting culture, though, right? So I think, you know, we, you know, building on a team of missionaries, I think, is what's going to create an exceptional company. And so much of what I get to think about now is culture Mm. and philosophy. And so Mm. that's definitely something I'm, you know, always, always weighing and always considering. You want to put those bounty hunters or those mercenaries kind of like over here. Mm-hmm. They kind of exist outside the organization. Like you can use them as a consultant or for a period of time, but they will kill the culture. And I yeah. think one bounty hunter surrounded by missionaries can become a missionary with bounty hunter skills. It's interesting you mentioned that. There's a film called The Mission, uh, which is in my top three favorite films. Liam Nelson, Jeremy Irons, and Robert De Niro filmed on location in South America on the falls, like the mm. greatest falls in the world, might that interest you? Yes. With <laughs> a score by Ennio Morricone, the greatest Italian composer of all time. I'll take it. You will see this film, and we will talk for three hours about it. Looking forward to it. The mission. Looking forward it's to it. transcendent. Charles, have you seen The Mission, Sir Charles? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Master Nick? No. Oh my God. An intern? No, definitely not. Comms? No. Oh my God. You've been to the falls. I'm sitting in a room with seven people here, and nobody's seen the mission. I'll see it and let you know. I actually yeah. studied film at UCLA for. Oh, you did? A little while. I lived so. around the corner. I, I lived oh, in cool. Brentwood by the Brentwood School. Nice. That was, and I used to go uh, sneak into UCLA and play pickup basketball with like it's people half my camp. age. It's, it's a, a great, great campus. campus. Open campus. You just walk in and play pickup mm-hmm. games. It was great. Great film school. Film. Yeah, we have a beautiful theater yeah. where we got to see like the original Godfather on film. Wow. Um, but then I switched to, I created a major about the internet actually. Really? Yeah. What year was this? This was 2011. Oh, wow. Was Diego teaching there at the time? He teaches at the, was it the Annenberg School there? What's the business school? There's a business school there. He there teaches is there. Anderson. Anderson, you're right. Anderson I did Bur- take some classes in the business school. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, Diego Bernican. He um he's doing cloud kitchens and done some other companies. Oh, he's a good cool. friend of mine. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, listen. I. Uh, oh, and we showed the site. We showed the video. Mm-hmm. You're hiring. We're hiring. So if people want a job, they a career, a, a career, a mission. If they want to be missionaries, you want to come build a company. <laughs> it's very simple. All you have to do is get a bunch of photos of you camping, <laughs> populate your Instagram, send an email, 
<laughs> and say, I live for camping. Perfect. And you're in. Perfect. As long as you have all the skills and are world class in your field. World Absolutely. Class in your, which isn't, <laughs> are you based here? Yeah, we're based in San Francisco. We're yeah. hiring for, you know, across the board engineers, um, a couple of really cool senior roles as well um, oh. for our leadership team around support President, sales. President, COO, VP of Ops. Engineering, not hiring for COO, but operations, yes, yeah. we're looking for well, someone How do you think huge. about a VP of Ops, COO, President type? You don't have that position filled. We are looking to fill that position to run mm. our sales and our support, which is a huge role. Someone who can yeah. really um, build this company with us. So if you're that yeah. person, Alyssa at hipcamp.com. Like uh, you need a Sheryl Sandberg type. I mean, she's too far gone, but yeah, that's we'll go she's get out her. of order. But you need yeah. <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> Cheryl Sandberg yeah. is now the CEO. I have a feeling her next position is going to be Secretary of State. I wouldn't be surprised. Secretary of State and uh, then Vice President. I, I'm going to guess in the next, within the next four elections, Sheryl Sandberg will have a cabinet senior cabinet position reporting directly to the president of the United States. Tweet it now. I've tweeted it for the last four <laughs> years. I've been like, let's go, Cheryl. We need, a, we need you. She's so amazing. Oprah, Oprah Sandberg. I'd vote for that Bloomberg ticket. Sandberg. Sandberg <laughs> Bloomberg. Just anything but Zuck. Hmm. No Zuck, please. All right, listen. Continued success. Congratulations. Uh, love what you're doing. Thank you. And uh, we'll be right back with more on this week in service. If you don't know your numbers, you just don't know your business. Growing businesses often have a hodgepodge of business systems, duct tape, everything just skunk work together. One system for accounting, one for sales, another one for your inventory. It's just a giant inefficient mess. You know that. And it keeps you from knowing your numbers, which then hurts your bottom line and just really affects everything up and down in terms of decision-making. Well, introducing NetSuite by Oracle. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business. And an easy-to-use cloud platform, NetSuite gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. You'll save time and money and unnecessary headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR all instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. So here is your call to action. NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide called The Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. And who doesn't want to grow profits? We're not talking about revenue. We're talking about profits, what you take home, and you can get that right now for free. NetSuite.com slash twist. NetSuite.com slash twist to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash twist. It gives you all the information you need uh, in terms of exploiting new revenue streams and expanding to global markets. Really, a lot of great content. Let's get in there, everybody. netsuite.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Office Hours with Jason Calcanis and Mike Savino. Welcome. In Sydney. In Sydney, welcome back. Hi. Joey Wong is our next guest. She has a marketplace. Big marketplaces are getting big for a reason. They scale very nicely, even though it's really hard. And uh, she is working on midterm and monthly home rentals. Think one to 11 months. Have you built this product yet? Yep, it's built. Um, so we launched it about three months ago. What's it called? Uh, Rentality. Rentality, like yep. the mentality changing of a rental. Rent changing rental mentality. Changing the rental mentality. Exactly. I love the name. Thank you. Rentality.com.au. And he very rarely likes names. <laughs> I'm pretty particular about this. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's important. It's it super important. meaning as well. When I met the founder of com.com, I immediately wanted to invest because he told me he got the domain name for like less than 100,000. Okay, so uh, what's your biggest challenge? Um, one of my biggest challenge would be um, early adopters. So we have quite a big segment in terms of like- um, Right into the microphone. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, we have quite a different segment in terms of like who we can target. Sure. Um, and since our launch three months ago, um, we've been actually t getting all the customers and transactions from all these segments. Mm -hmm. um, so they include like international students, international migrants, expats um, who's come he coming here for comments, consultants, subcontractors, um, working holiday people. So like there's, there's really like surgeons, specialist surgeons. Um, so we've actually partnered with uh, several institutions who are providing us customers with those. Right. So we're trying, because I know that a lot of people say that with the marketplace, you have to have early adopters. But for us, like, um, I, I, like my question is sort of, should we really just go for one marketer? Or, like, yeah, so early adopters typically means people who are willing to take a risk and pay more for new technology that could be frustrating and have um, a ramp up in terms of education. In other words, the people who bought drones seven, eight years ago yeah. and were willing to change the blades, have them go flying, get lost in the sea, pay thousands of dollars for them, and generally have that really steep learning curve. Yeah. Now, at Christmas, you can buy a drone for $15 on Amazon, Pretty and it's for everybody, right? Yeah. So that's that early adopters versus the massive middle versus the laggards. Yeah. That's one concept, but that's for high tech. Yeah. Really cutting edge technology like VR headsets or the Apple Watch when it first comes out. That's what early adopters mean. Now, what you're talking about is slightly different. What you're talking is a beachhead, yeah. um, a group of customers, a wedge strategy. Think about it like a wedge that you would split a log with. Yeah. It's a group of people that you can kind of really get in there into the market and crack the market open. Yeah, because that's different than an early adopter. Yeah. So let's take it from that framework. So what does that mean? It means a group of people that you can find quickly. Yeah. Which group can you easily identify and find quickly? So as an example of that, let's think of an example of that. Somebody who owns a digital SLR camera, right? Like a, one of those fancy cameras. Yeah. Well, if you were going to have some new fancy camera yeah. that took pictures as good as that, it'd be good to target those people. And yeah. they're very easy to target. You can go onto any of the ad networks and find people who follow on Twitter, Canon, or follow some website about photography. And you got the photography, you know, uh, people who are passionate about photography, and that can be your wedge. If it comes to a demographic, like you're going after moms in America with two kids, or moms who are living in cities, or dads who are single dads, or two income, all that is very, psychographically yeah. available. And the other thing right. that's available is retargeting, yeah. which is if you made content, somebody landed on that content page through SEO or social media or whatever it is, like a landing page about, let's say you created a blog about um, student life in uh, Sydney. Yeah. And it was in Taiwanese, Chinese, and Japanese, and you translated it. And then you put a tag on those pages to then retarget those people. And you did SEO in those countries when they search mm -hmm. for um, student housing or you know moving to Sydney or whatever the keyword search you do is. Now yeah. you would have tagged them and you can retarget them, right? Yeah. So these are all secondary ways to f sort of figure that out. 
of that group that you listed, which one is the easiest for you to find, the easiest to get to, the easiest that already exists in a social network or a group somewhere? So we've actually chosen a quite a unique business strategy. Um, okay. Instead of just straight going to consumer, we decided to um, do B2B2C, which is okay. a much, um, for us, is a much cheaper way to get consumer, to get customers. Okay. Um, so what we've done is essentially we've um, go to like Australian Medical Association, we've went to like travel management companies, we've go to, um, we go to like um, international national like uh, language schools and taste sure. institutions and we partner with these institutions to get to their customers. Great. So you know who the customer is. It's yeah. somebody who's an international student yep. and you know that there's an international school they're going to yep. and they are they have some binder there or some yeah. list of links or an email they send to them. Yeah, yeah. And so you perfectly uh, demonstrated that you understand the wedge strategy. You yeah. find the tip of the wedge, somebody who go in there because what happens is what happens after they graduate? Yeah. They um, get jobs. Yeah. Or they go home and then they tell other people who are in the school, I use this resource. So yeah. that would be the perfect example of a really good wedge if they could become continuing customers because they might move here. Yeah. Uh, or they might move to another city. So there might be a group of people who are uh, workers like management consultants who yeah. are more nomadic and they go from Sydney to... Uh, you know, Qatar and then to Berlin, you know, there, you might find somebody like that who is a nomadic group of consultants. Yeah, we've actually had um, quite well, essentially, if we partner up, we partner with um, uh, one of the big consulting companies mm -hmm. um, and they will be continuous customers because they're going to keep sending people on comments yeah. to Melbourne, Sydney, etc. So part of the game here is to identify one of these techniques and yeah. then layer a second and third one on it. Right. So once you've got that core group of people, you got the wedge, you got the tip into the you know, trunk of that tree that you're going to split the log. Right. Okay, who's the group behind them? Who's the group behind them? And right. then how do you reach them? So then you get into member, get a member, or, um, you know, making content for them. So giving them an incentive to spread that content right. or to put them in groups. So if you took that group of international students and you created a Facebook group for them. So I had a, com I had a company we invested in called Anyplace that was doing short-term housing in hotels. Yeah. And they created a group that was doing called renters um, and roommates on Facebook and didn't have yeah. any of their branding. <laughs> we actually did that. We created every midterm temporary rental group in Facebook for every single state in Australia. And it worked. Yeah, it works. Um, they've been, and then just other people growth. are posting to it yeah. and you post to it. Yeah, and but I'm an admin, so therefore I get like, prime, like premium advertisement right. strategy. So you seem to know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> Mike, anything to add or to learn from? Yeah, how our, big are you in that? How, how, I mean, um, typically, if you, going back to your strategy, if university is a strategy, then there's typically a stock of very specific housing that's in and around that university that people use to yeah. rent to students. Um, so we, we know how to get to the students or maybe even the parents of the students. Yeah. How then are you going to get to Quickly. those people who have been renting those same houses for years and years and maybe don't see reason to go digital yet? Yeah, actually, um, let me like most of our property portfolio are in Melbourne and in popular areas like CBD, um, Docklands, where all the bankers are, um, and we have some. So, like Melbourne students are funny, like international students are a funny thing. They really like these Instagram famous um, apartments, and we huh? have some of them which really <laughs> clicks well with them. Um, so, like I, I guess, didn't know apartments could be Instagram famous. Yeah, That's I didn't incredible. know that either yeah, until wow. them. Do they these have, apartments have their own Instagram handles? 
No, but oh. like they have like really cool features like poker room that I'm sure you really love. Um, okay, great. In one of Sounds our good. apartment, if you want to stay there. Do you have cash? You have money? <laughs> Sorry. You have money? You uh, You're a startup. You don't have any. No, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm a. I'm a poor founder. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess like one of the challenges also differentiating between the business and also the consumer because I guess yeah. like um for international students the website the product that they're looking for is quite different to business um business customers sure. yeah. um and I think that's also one of the challenges is do I focus on the product for the business or like uh, the international students yeah. yeah so I I, th I really like what you're doing I think Thank you. for the for the students it's a little bit more important right now because they're the ones that are going to be renting for you yeah okay yeah you know when you go to Airbnb you know, there's all the inventory there, and then there's a link. You know, be a host. Yeah. Right. And right. It, it's the it's ninety five percent focused on the the consumption and finding a, a place to rent, and maybe five percent of that real estate is likely to be, you know, um, dedicated to getting inventory. There's probably like a landing page for that. Yeah. That's a hundred percent optimized for that. You know, and they're doing retargeting of ads and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I also think community building is a great one for you to do too. Yeah, if we're thinking about co-living. Um, co-living is, yeah. What's interesting about your business, it seems like it's making a little bit of money and it yeah. could wind up being a nice, you know, couple of million dollar a year business yeah. in terms of your take. You know, you take 10% or? Uh, we take from both sides of the market, actually. So 5% from both sides? Uh, no, 4% of the entire from the homeowner side. Um, and we only source properties from uh, like short-term rental managers. So your total take uh, is? Um, it's a bit funny because we take 8% from the tenant for the first month. And we cap it. it at that. So we right. to differentiate ourselves. Okay, perfect. So you make a little bit of money off of this, but yeah. it's not a ton. Yeah. And so that's, I think, the thing for you to think about is, right. is there another business to layer on here that could be a cash cow and how do you do that or you could just keep scaling this but yeah. it does seem to me that the total addressable for market for this is something to think about when you go to investors and build a bottom-up total addressable market right so how many international students are there what are the housing needs in the top 10 markets not all markets not some weird statistic you get from you know, Price Warehouse Coopers that you found on the internet from Ernst yeah. & Young or Gardner Group but just we have these 10 cities there are these many universities. These universities report they have this percentage of international students. Therefore, we think there's this many opportunities. Right. And then there might be an opportunity for you to say, you know what? Here's a way for us to take that, you know, 8% of the first month and make it 8% a month. We're going to rent this group of inventory and place students in co-living yeah. and be able to take 15% a month of their rent or whatever it is. Or we're going to build tools for the management of for property renters who have multiple properties. You know, there, yeah. there's, when you pull the string, see where it leads you and be very open-minded to expand the ambition of what you're doing. Now, that right. would be my best piece of advice because I get the sense that this is gonna be a grinded out, low margin business. Um, and I'm not sure how much money there is. Um, in New York. That's interesting how yeah. you say that because um, I thought it would be, um, so at the moment currently our average transaction fee is about $800. Oh, um, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, so I thought that okay, was that's actually, higher, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's actually pretty be. high. I thought eventually we could increase it over time cause, because yeah. our, actually our homeowner side I used to much higher from booking.com. Um, oh, they pay more. They booking. pay more for booking.com. The whole first month's rent or? Um, well, oh, they're only renting for eight months or nine months. Is that the? Uh, so five months usually. Five months. So take yeah. a month is out of the question. Yeah. In New York, the apartments, you have to pay a month or two? We take. First month, last for, month? For a full for a for a year, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, right. for, that's for a permanent rental, though, not, yeah, not, not a short-term. Yeah, sure. yeah, that's sure. what um, we're trying to differentiate about because there's a huge gap right now between mm. permanent rental and sort of the Airbnb. Yeah, you're like in this middle space between yeah. vacation <laughs> rental and finding a place to live. Yeah. And there's a certain group of people, right, that do this. Students do it. Expats do it. Who else have you found? Um, other so than those a kids? lot of like specialist surgeons. Um, there's also migrants, like especially now that the like especially Australia having a lot of migrants. Um, then there's also like because we do instant booking, um, so it's really attractive for people who can't get a permanent, um, <clears throat> who can't get those permanent leases because right. um, they have to go through the long yeah. procedure. Um, yeah, so it's. For business people, did you raise money yet for this business? Sorry, did you raise money? No, yet? not yet. Uh, we went through an accelerator, so we got Which some one? money. Um, slingshot. Slingshot here. Yeah. What do they put? Fifty k in for five percent. Um, twenty five k for three percent. It depends on the program, but our program was only like thirty thousand dollars, but with a match. Uh, thirty thousand dollars with with a match funding later on. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and. That's also one of my challenges too. Like also, yeah. how do I maintain operations and raising at the same time? But Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody That's, has that problem. We have that <laughs> with the launch accelerator in America. The explicit purpose of it is so you can run your business four days a week. Yeah. And one day a week, we kind of match you with investors and maybe we can help you manage that a little bit better yeah. or accelerate that process. What's uh, the market? What, what is the marketplace doing a month right now overall? Um, it's about, so I've been operating for three months and total we have about $27,000 in revenue. So about 10% of that, uh, $2,700. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's showing potential. I think if you can triple or quadruple that, uh, you would be starting to hit what we look for for our accelerator in America. Yeah. Um, so if you have that ambition to build a global business, American yeah, we're investors. definitely thinking global. Um, yeah. So well, that's something thinking. when you're in America, come by on a Thursday and meet the team and uh, come to the launch accelerator. You can audit it. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, all right, great, uh, great job, Joey. Let's give her a big round of applause.